Welcome tonight. We have a another episode in the Guidelines podcast series. I'm the host of the podcast. My name is Brad Elder. I'm at Ohio State University on the faculty there. As co-host, resident representative, I have Dr. Mayur Sharma. The paper that we're discussing, the Guidelines paper we're discussing tonight, is entitled Congress of Neurological Surgeons Systematic Review and Evidence-Based Practice Guideline on the Role of Surgery in the Management of Adults with Metastatic Brain Tumors. And we have two of the authors here tonight. We have the co-first author, Christopher Alvarez Breckenridge. He's an MD, PhD. He did his residency at Mass General Hospital and is currently a fellow at MD Anderson Cancer Center. We also have the senior author on the paper, Dr. Jeffrey Olson. He is a professor of neurosurgery at Emory University in Atlanta. With that, I will turn talk over to Dr. Alvarez Breckenridge to give us a bird's eye overview of his paper. Thank, thank you, Dr. Alder, and listeners out there who are tuning in for, for our discussion of this paper. You know, we had the opportunity to follow up on the guidelines paper that Dr. Kalkanis had published a few years prior, essentially looking at you know, the role of surgical resection in the setting of brain metastases. And um, you know, this is increasingly evolving field. Uh, both in the setting of adjuvant kind of radiation for, for brain metastases following surgery and, and what the relationship is between uh, surgical resection and, and radiation, as well as the role of surgery in the evolving field of targeted therapies and immunotherapy and to a lesser extent chemotherapy for brain metastases. And so uh, we were kind of tasked with evaluating uh, and assessing the literature that had been published following the initial guidelines paper and um, really kind of exploring questions to what extent should surgery be pursued uh, following initial diagnosis of brain metastases and, and to what extent should radiation be pursued in lieu of surgery or as an adjuvant uh, following surgery. And then um, the, the, the next line of questions that we were pursuing were related to the role of surgery in recurrent disease, you know, many of you know, know, metastatic disease and its progression in the brain is really a longitudinal process of with ebbs and flows related to uh, disease progression on a variety of therapies. And so that question of what is the right call uh, for for doing surgery in that recurrent setting is, is, I think, increasingly relevant. And then we had questions related to the role of surgical technique for resection of brain metastases. And you know, that related to ultimately questions of risk of leptomeningeal spread and, and, and are there things that we can do surgically to limit that risk? Can you tell us, give us some detail, maybe uh, some, some of the take-home messages. What, what do you think of are the three or four main messages in, in uh, what you found? So the, 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 over the time frame that we were you know, looking at the, the literature, there's or there still was uh, data to support the role of um, surgery followed by radiation, particularly whole brain radiation as, as a modality that's superior to whole brain radiation alone. There is increasing data to suggest that surgery followed by uh, stereotactic radiosurgery is also superior to whole brain radiation and surgery plus whole brain radiation. The data on that is continuing to emerge. And there was some papers that were published kind of following our 
writing of the guidelines to, to really support the role of surgery plus uh, stereotactic radiosurgery. I think that's something that in, in future studies um, and future guidelines will be kind of explored in more detail. We also found some level three evidence to support the, the role of surgery for recurrent disease, particularly after cases where the uh, index surgery was, or the index uh, therapy was either surgery or radiation. So it seems when I look at your paper, it seems a lot of the a lot of the recommendations don't just talk about surgery. They talk about surgery with some sort of radiation modality. Exactly. Uh, how do I parse through, you know? And and at the same time, I see at the very top the level one recommendation is surgery and whole brain radiation. I and I'll be honest with you, we don't do that. That for for you know the the vast majority of patients that I operate on get stereotactic radiosurgery, FSRT. Can you speak to why is that me misunderstanding some of the messages in the paper? No, it you know you you raise a great point, and it it was something that I was a little bit surprised by as well as we went through the literature. You know the the recommendation of surgery followed by whole brain radiation is really based on uh, some older publications and, and follow-ups uh, to those to, to some of these older papers, I was really expecting to find some higher level kind of class one or class two evidence that suggests that, you know, surgery followed by radiation was beneficial or more beneficial than, you know, surgery alone or radiation alone. Uh, shortly after this paper was published, there was the uh, manuscript coming out of the MD Anderson group published in Lancet Oncology that, that kind of showed um, some higher quality uh, data to support the value of surgery followed by SRS. But at the time that we were kind of going through the literature, that kind of high quality data just really didn't exist. You know, we were seeing a lot of kind of retrospective studies, but nothing you know, really prospective in nature. But I, I think that you bring up a really salient point, which is something that we talk about a little bit later in the paper, just related to kind of the, the role of multimodal therapies. And I think that a broad take home that I, I'd want to convey is that, you know, surgery alone is not really the, the only way that these uh, brain metastases need to be addressed. It's surgery plus something else. And uh, one of the challenges is setting up, you know, in a prospective set, setting, head-to-head comparisons of, of some of the different kind of radiation options that can be given in the uh, in the adjuvant setting, um, and so what I because because that's how you get to level one recommendations, right? You really you really want that head to head comparison. Exactly. And unless, unless somebody's got that trial going, then we may not get to that level one recommendation. If we're if we're if we're not comparing to side-by-side, prospectively randomized. That's really how we're getting to the level ones, which is why you discuss some level three recommendations throughout the, the, the manuscript. Correct. And, you know, ultimately that, that was the, the biggest, you know, challenge that we encountered and a little bit surprised by the fact that we didn't have that higher level evidence, but, you know, those studies are, are challenging to set up. There are, um, you know, certain impediments there, but, you know, at the time of our you know, writing of the, the guidelines, just that high level evidence uh, really wasn't there. And I, I think we all anecdotally, you know, have our perspective and experience that, that patients with, you know, brain metastases following resection are often getting stereotactic radiosurgery in lieu of whole brain. But 
in terms of being able to to give you know formalized recommendations on that, uh, I think we're we're still um, you know trying to gather you know that 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 high level data to support that. Did did size criteria enter into this at all? Size of the brain metastasis because on you know when I go when I do my day to day and I see consults and you know I, I see patients you know they they. Patients with solitary metastases, brain metastases are probably a quarter, maybe, of all patients with brain metastases. Right. And so for patients with multiple brain metastases, do, do all these recommendations apply? It, so that was another challenge and, and part of the reason why you know, much of our recommendations were, were level three in nature. There is a, so much heterogeneity in terms of the location and size and associated edema that these tumors present with that um, those are factors uh, and variables that really need to also be interpreted uh, and contextualized in these studies and in future studies because a, you know, three and a half centimeter tumor in the right frontal lobe is potentially going to present differently than a, you know, eight millimeter, you know, tumor in your motor strip and, and questions related to how to tackle those, those cases um, are, are very relevant. And at least when, you know, we were looking through the literature, the data is a little bit more lacking in, in terms of some of these more nuanced situations. You know, often we, we think about, you know, are there you know, more than four brain metastases. And, and if there's more than four, then that might drive us away from surgery. But, but really, uh, you know, I think there needs to be a very nuanced view in terms of how we interpret patients that come to us in terms of where the tumor is located anatomically, how much edema there is, how many metastases there are overall, but then also, is this a new diagnosis? Have they failed four lines of chemotherapy already? And, and things related to that. So I just wanted to add one thing um, that there are other sections to this guideline. This is just the surgical component. If you look at the whole brain radiation component or the stereotactic radiosurgery component, we were able to utilize the very detailed information our radiation oncology colleagues have put together regarding radiation of brain tumors. They have cutoffs at different volumes of total tumor, different numbers, you know, three or less, three to 10, 15 or more volumes of seven or less, seven to 15, 15 millimeter, milliliters or more. Those are all very important. And it's kind of getting to what Dr. Alvarez was saying. It's a little bit outside of the discussion of surgery, but the use of the adjuvant, whether it's stereotactic radiosurgery, whole brain, or both, uh, is answered in a lot of those studies. They're generally class two or class three data, but it's addressed directly. And it's very helpful if you take the time to look at those guidelines. That's a, that's a great point. I, and I, I will put in a, a little plug for the rest of the guidelines series here. I think it's, uh, you know, the guidelines are always going to be a little bit hamstrung by the time frame of the literature search. It's an, it's an excellent summary on the treatment of, of brain metastases. But at this point, I want to give Dr. Sharma an opportunity to ask a question from a resident perspective. Thank you, Dr. Elder. Thank you, Dr. Alvarez and Dr. Olson for this fantastic uh, guideline paper. I have two questions. Uh, first, uh, actually, Dr. Elder already touched upon the size. Uh, the second one I wanted to ask, like uh, the number of meds. Uh, so how should we be looking uh, going into practice, like uh, patients presenting with, say, two meds versus three, three to, uh, sorry, two to five or more than five meds? 
And uh, the second part of the question is you mentioned the, the level three recommendation that SRS is as good as surgery plus whole brain radiation therapy. Now, how should we practically using the, this data in counseling our patients pre-op uh, while selecting the treatment? So regarding the, the first question of kind of interpreting the number of, of brain metastases and, and, and guiding your, your clinical decision-making, you know, so I think the, the first question is, you know, do we have a, a kind of histological diagnosis yet? Do we know what pathology we're dealing with? Because, you know, ultimately that, that's probably the, one of the, if not the most critical question. And, uh, and so if, if this is an unknown primary and, and, you know, there aren't any other sites of disease or, or, or other sites are not accessible for whatever reason, then even if there's, you know, four or five brain metastases, it's probably, you know, justified to, um, to, to really pursue a surgical intervention to establish the diagnosis. We allude to this a little bit in our paper. And then, you know, in uh, I think Dr. Elder's section within the guidelines, he talks about some emerging therapies and whatnot. And so, you know, as we know, there are, there are uh, metastatic diseases that have reasonably good targetable mutations and, uh, and, and systemic therapies that, that can be used. And so, you know, an example could be, you know, a, a patient who has a BRAF mutant uh, melanoma. And in, in that situation, if you can establish that the intracranial disease harbors that mutation, then it might be reasonable to say, well, instead of aggressively pursuing surgical resection, we might give them a targeted therapy, uh, you know, for those brain metastases. The caveat to this is that there, we don't have the level one evidence to support that at this point. And Dr. Elder kind of, uh, addresses that in, in, in his, in his section of the, of the paper. But, um, I, I think that the, the decision about whether to, to pursue surgical intervention with, you know, less than three, uh, brain metastases or, or more than three really, requires you to take a holistic view of the individual patient. And do you have a diagnosis? Have they failed prior therapies? Have they already had radiation before? Um, and it, ultimately, you know, what does the oncologist have to provide the patient after you do surgery? Because if, if you do surgery, but then there's nothing else that they can offer, then, you know, you, you, you may be losing sight of the of the, the kind of overall battle, you know, that, that we're dealing with. Dr. Um, Mayor or Dr. Sharma, interestingly, uh, Dr. Nahed and Alvarez put in the key issues for future investigation studies of whether or not or when to resect two or more metastasis. They uh, were very honest about the fact that we can't just tell you that answer, uh, but rather that's something that um, you should sit down and design a proper study for so that you can answer that for us. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Good so luck. Much. Good luck with that one. One one thing I did want to ask something that's uh, that's uh, perhaps emerging as an ongoing topic is, you know, it, it it seems that it's that local therapy, surgery, and radiation are 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 best friends in terms of controlling brain metastases. My question relates to: Was there when you did your search, was there anything that jumped out at you regarding the timing? So. So, so is it important to do the radiation within four weeks? There's recent data on spine meds that it's important to do it within 42 days. Is there something similar for 
Uh, and then the part B would be, there's, there's also data that's merging on neoadjuvant radiation. Can, are there, what, what are your thoughts on how the, the, the timing of radiation and surgery relate uh, in terms of uh, the overall benefits, local control, prevention of leptomeningeal disease, other, other, other factors? Sure. Yeah. Thank, thanks for bringing that up. So, you know, at, at the time that we were looking through the literature, we didn't see or encounter an ab- a, a abundance of a papers that had really looked at that in a kind of standardized way or in a way that we felt like we had particularly high level of evidence. But I, but I do think, and I expect that for the next guidelines paper, there's going to be a reasonable amount of of, of data on this question of the timing of radiation and surgery and, and this idea of kind of sterilizing the kind of tumor microenvironment, the tumor bed itself, potentially ahead of doing surgery. So, so, sur- so uh, radiation in a neoadjuvant setting um, and that by potentially sterilizing that, that tumor, we would be decreasing the, rant, the, the chance of leptomeningeal spread. Like I said, it wasn't something that we really encountered um, in our in our review of the literature, but I but I do think it's something that will be uh, emerging. The main thing that we encountered in terms of leptomeningeal risk was questions related to how the tumor was taken out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, more of an on-block type of approach versus kind of a piecemeal approach, uh, with with, with some data to suggest that a on-block um, surgical resection decreased the risk of leptomeningeal spread. So the, the last topic I wanted to bring up is, is what I view as the, the last sort of elephant in the room, and it's a topic of radiation necrosis. So, we, so we've, you've addressed the issue of current tumors. In the post-radiation, post, whether it's post-operative or not setting, progressive or recurrent enhancement. It's probably half the cases we look at at our tumor board. Is this treatment effect? Is this tumor regrowth? Is it some of both? Uh, solutions for that could be are systemic with you know steroids, avastin, or local la- laser thermal therapy or surgical resection. Did you Do you have thoughts on the topic in general or surgical approaches in particular? So again, a, a, a great, very salient question. Um, you know, the the literature regarding lit w- was not really encountered when we did our literature search. I think we probably, if we were doing it now, we would certainly be getting those papers. Uh, but but clinically, you know, we we experienced the same thing where we see enhancement post post-radiation, there may be some edema, uh, inevitably it's an eloquent, you know, cortex and, and what do we do? You know, I think that the, the approaches are a combination of, you know, evolving technology from the kind of radiology side of things. I'm, I'm not quite as able to give uh, a lot of details about, but, right. you know, I, the I diagnostic think, phase of this yeah, problem, right? Exactly. Uh, how sure are we regarding diagnosis? It, it, exactly. So that's one part of the equation. And then the second and third part of the equation are the you know systemic therapies, and then and then you know lit. I think that personally, I feel a little bit uneasy about just going straight to you know Avastin, you know, without having kind of a more of a definitive diagnosis of yes, this is radiation necrosis, and you know 
there are some radiographic features that might lean you in that direction. But, but personally, I think that, you know, lit provides a great deal of benefit in terms of a, you can actually get the diagnosis of, yes, this is suggestive of radiation necrosis, and then kind of have the palliative treatment of the laser ablation as well. And, and, and it can also be, you know, used for, for more eloquent areas, you know, potentially in patients who... What about surgical resection? I didn't mean to cut you uh, off there. The, uh, you know, the, if, I mean, is, is, there, is there data, is there evidence, is there enough evidence to even comment on surgical resection for radiation necrosis? I'd say that there's not high level evidence for that. Um, I think most of the, the kind of emerging data for surgery in the radiation necrosis context is coming within the context of laser interstitial therapy. But the idea of you know, recommendations regarding an open craniotomy for radiation necrosis was, was not something that we encountered. And I, I would be kind of reluctant to to say that we have much in the way of any evidence that would suggest that we should pursue, you know, craniotomy for the treatment of radiation necrosis. I think you might just say that there's conflicting level three evidence that were mostly retrospective studies of selected institutions experience. And really this is another example of something that warrants future investigation, spectroscopic MRI, better PET markers and so on. I think we actually will be able to sort it out and can with investigational imaging now. And uh, so I think you're getting at the right point that we don't quite have all the data, but that will probably come in in the next iteration of these guidelines. Well, I wanna thank the two authors who were able to join us tonight. That was a fantastic discussion very deep dive into a tricky topic. And having having written on the topic myself, I know that it is a immense amount of work to put together a guidelines, a paper. Uh, and I really want to commend the two authors for their for their work on this topic. This was a fantastic paper. I I learn uh, more each time I I have I read the paper. So I, I really want to congratulate the two of you and uh, I want to thank you both for your time tonight. I think we had a, a great discussion. Uh, Dr. Sharma, thank you again for joining us as the resident representative. And thank you for the opportunity. I, uh, I wish everyone a great night. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.